0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity 2.0, the one true podcast, and the only podcast to have a co host die of some unspecified sexually transmitted disease and then procrastinate his resurrection, thus delaying the podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) So, (laughs) fuck you, Matt Wakefield. Yes, I'm going to take the skunk dick again. It was a nice rest, though. I deserved
1: it. I deserved that rest. You did deserve it, and I needed it. Although the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. It was close.
0: Uh, in your defense, you were discharging some pretty foul fluid. <laughs> I think everybody wanted to hear that. <laughs> 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 my voice... My Out voice? of, as I, as I recall, multiple orifices.
1: <laughs> Is my voice lower now? It was lower for a while. We should have recorded. It was, it was like... It was hey, like down I, here.
0: I tried. I tried. <laughs> it would have been the be- best podcast we ever put out. <laughs> yeah, limited talk from me. <laughs> <laughs> Try as I might, I can't entirely shut you down.
1: Well, we're back. Bitches.
0: And we're going to do something today.
1: <laughs> we're going to uh, interview. Yes,
0: we have an interview with uh, Nate Phelps of the uh, pending documentary, Not My Father's Son, formerly of the Westboro Baptist Church. Son. Of Fred, but first deceased. we have uh, skunk dicks. As skunk I understand, dicks. if I understand it correctly, I think we've got some skunk dicks lined up.
1: That is the order in which we go. First, we do skunk. We do intro, then we do skunk dicks, and then we do some crap that nobody listens to, and then right, we do a thing gotta, at
0: the end. Yeah, it'll give a little teaser for the good stuff in order to to they, they allow them to plow their way through the shitty skunk dick segment.
1: All right, he's back, <laughs> Pat, fucking Robertson, everybody's favorite. I love this guy. Um, you gotta love someone who has a show that just <laughs> continually just—he's gotta say things every single day that we miss out on. Uh, fortunately, somebody writes down the good stuff.
0: Yeah, so we don't have to watch the whole fucking thing. Right. <laughs> um, and does he do this every day? Is it like a daily show, oh, or is he do it once a week? Or
1: I think it is, but I'm really not sure. I don't want to know, actually. Matt, <laughs> find out,
0: find that out for me. Oh, you're the one who keeps bringing him back on the fucking show.
1: I can't help it. He's so cute.
0: Um, <laughs> so, you know what you do
1: when, like, ghosts are in your house, Chuck? Like, you see things like doors open and close.
0: You know? Things fall off shelves. I call the Warrens to exercise the fuck out of that house.
1: <laughs> yeah, except they would come in and they'd be like, see, it's just pipes.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> they're so skeptical. They are. Not Pat Robertson, though. No! So, one of the viewers called in. Matt, we got to listen to this thing. We got to listen to his advice to this lady. All right.
2: Okay, this is Lori who says My husband and I moved into a house a year ago. I'm a strong Christian with unwavering faith. I believe the Lord tried to stop us from buying it at every turn. Everything has been very difficult here. Everything has to be redone, rehung, etc. The last few months, weird things have been happening in the home. I've seen doors open and close on their own. We can't find something and then it appears, and things fall off shelves without reason. What do you recommend? I've prayed and cast it out, but I believe it will take more than one person to make this stop. I'd sell that house in a heartbeat. I would run to the nearest realtor, put it on the market, cut the price in half, and get out. That's what I would do
0: as fast as you can. If you don't like that, get a bunch of believers
2: to come in there and and go room by room and anoint every room, plead the blood of Jesus, and cast demons out. But, man, you're in for a long fight. Get out. There are plenty of houses. Why live in a haunted house? (laughs)
0: Get out! Get out!
1: <laughs> yeah, why yeah. live in a haunted house?
0: You gotta anoint every room and plead the blood of Jesus, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> plead the blood of Jesus?
1: I Yeah, what does that mean? Does I have no idea what lit? that means. Oh, blood of Jesus. Please take, not even Jesus, just the blood of Jesus. Just the blood. Plead. <laughs> I think that's uh, Pat Robertson for just drink a bunch of wine. Just like, get loaded.
0: What I'm waiting for is uh, for his, like, Trinity Broadcasting Network to just up and decide that he's too fucking senile to do this show anymore. This is frankly too embarrassing, Pat, to put you on the air anymore. I mean, what is it going to take? This is That's nothing, Chuck. Come on. You know they won't. It's Sell like, that uh, haunted house. It's <laughs> like There's plenty of houses, Matt. Why live in a haunted one? I have
1: no reason. I can give no reason.
0: I love how haunted it is too. Like things fucking disappear and then then they show up again. That never happened.
1: <laughs> I wonder if they did they just disappear like on the table out of nowhere?
0: <laughs> Next thing, you'll have like a dog barking for no reason.
1: <laughs> uh actually that'd be kind of cool cuz you'd be like, "Where are my keys? I've looked everywhere." And then they go,
0: "Whoop! And, oh, there they are." <laughs> Yeah, a real helpful ghost to unhide your shit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, demons. That's very polite. <laughs> Why would you want to plead the blood of Christ out of that?
1: Oh, Pat Robertson. He's like uh, what they used to say about Howard Stern. You know, half the people watch him to see what he's going to say next. You know, the other half watch him to see what he's
0: going to say next. <laughs> the other half just laugh at him because he's yeah. a senile old fucking asshole. Did they say that about Howard Stern? Um. Uh, they leave out senile. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, our next candidate uh, is a, a creationist teacher and actually entire fucking school board. <laughs> no, uh, this the case um, involves the parents of a Buddhist student in Louisiana, of oh. all places. How could this happen in Louisiana? I would have said Texas, <laughs> paragon of progressive values. Well, Bobby uh,
1: Jindal, you know, he's strong in education.
0: <laughs> Uh, this student was ridiculed by a creationist teacher, right? Uh, so they they filed a lawsuit. Oh, this uh, is a public school, by the way. Just a public school. Not make yes. that mistake. So the student, known as C.C., was asked by sixth grade teacher Rita Rourke to answer the following question on a test, Matt. And and remember this this is in all caps. All right. And it's it's on a test. Isn't it amazing what the blank has made? And they're like fucking eighteen exclamation points <laughs> at the end.
1: Um, uh, I'm going with platypus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, pharaoh? Pharaoh. Crom. Pharaoh. When CC C. failed to respond, Lord, Rourke responded, you're stupid if you don't <laughs> believe in God. <laughs> she also frequently denigrated his Buddhist faith as well as a Hindu faith, referring to both as stupid. <laughs> and she ought to know. You're stupid Buddha. Now, Matt... His parents didn't like this, and they complained to the uh, superintendent, Sarah Ebarb. Oh, uh,
1: okay. I'm sure the superintendent took their uh, complaint seriously. Yes. Lost an investigation?
0: Yes, the superintendent, Sarah Ebarb, told them that, hey, this is the Bible Belt. So they should expect (laughs) to find the Christian God in the classroom, for fuck's sake. Yeah. I mean, come on. Not your heathen
1: hippies, crap.
0: (laughs) She also advised them that if they wanted an ungodly classroom... They should transfer Cece to a school where, quote, there are more Asians. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, they, she did not. <laughs> oh, my.
0: Uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of something more inflammatory, but I'm coming up <laughs> short here. That's Uh, that's pretty impressive that they um, think so, that this this school superintendent and the teacher think so little of their students' uh, education that they're willing to spend all of the funds on a completely unnecessary lawsuit. This obviously happened in like 1952, right? Oh, my God. It was just (laughs) recently decided against. So the judge judge ruled against the uh, creationist teacher and the school district uh, and for the American Civil Liberties Union. Oh, my God. The ACLU, the card carrying liberal organization. Now, Matt, she uh, said that they're permanently enjoined from permitting school officials at any school within the school district to promote their personal religious beliefs to students in class or during or in conjunction with the school event. Furthermore, school officials shall not denigrate any particular faith. Or lack thereof, or single out any student for disfavor or criticism because his or her particular faith or religious belief or lack thereof. Yay! So, uh, yeah, that, that that it's pretty clear, right? Um, Something you think wouldn't have to be explained to them. Uh, correct, <laughs> given the First Amendment of the fucking Constitution. Right. Uh, She went one step further and ordered that all members of the school board, as well as all faculty, now that's current and incoming, be trained by an attorney approved by the ACLU, (laughs) 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 as to their responsibilities with respect to the First Amendment. Oh, my God, that must really hurt. That must really, really hurt, that Louisiana school district.
1: Oh, that is beautiful. Sometimes
0: it goes right. (laughs) Yeah, it's becoming rare, but uh, every once in a while we'll score a fucking victory.
1: That is awesome. That's kind of like a skunk dick and like a like a happy story all in one.
0: Yeah, Matt. Uh, you know, if you want godless education, then you just need to go to a school that has more Asians in it. Oh yeah, because Asians don't believe. It. What do they believe in? Shit, I guess nothing. <laughs> did it's you a... just, did you just say Asians believe in shit? Well. <laughs> To be fair, everybody believes in shit. Uh, At least it's empirically demonstrable.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, as someone who spent a couple years in South Korea and ran into a few South Korean Jehovah's Witnesses, (laughs) you're not completely insulated from the Christian faith, even amongst Asians.
0: That virus is everywhere. (laughs) All right. That's great. What's next?
1: Well, what else you got? Oh, it's me. Oh, well, um, I've got AIDS. I mean, seriously, I have an explanation for AIDS. Oh. <laughs> I always wondered how, how you get AIDS, right? Well, now I know, because Bob Frey has explained it to me. He's Bob a, Frey
0: uh, being, uh, you know, microbiologist, right? Probably. Famed, famed microbiologist Bob Frey. He
1: might also be a, rub- uh, a, rub- a Rublican. Republican? (laughs) Running for the Minnesota House of Representatives.
0: Oh, good. A politician is going to tell me the science behind the transfer of HIV. Yeah, well, he's worried about the economic
1: cost of sodomy. Okay, Chuck? He's not against the gays. He probably loves them.
0: Well, you know, I guess he has to pay for his sodomy. Yeah, well. Very expensive. There's a cost to do it. There's cost to sodomy. Runaway, runaway inflation uh, in, uh, with current day sodomy. Well, it has to do with the way
1: sperm burns our anal cavities. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the
0: theory. I want to hear this, Matt.
1: All right. Enlighten me. So, Frey's theory is that sperm extrude a burning enzyme that mm. is only neutralized when the sperm meets an egg. When a yep. sperm are just running around loose in somebody's ass, they burn everything and then AIDS. You see, sperm, <laughs> sperm, acid, ass, AIDS. It's a, uh, it, well, that's, that's epistemology, right? Is that, that what you say
0: <laughs> I mean, let me quote him directly from this article. It's more about sodomy than about pigeonholing a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> People, they, nice.
1: they never they think s-
0: about it when they speak. <laughs> nice choice of words. When you have an egg and a sperm that meet in conception, there's an enzyme in the front It's in the front, Matt, Ah, that burns through the egg. That makes sense. The enzyme burns through so the DNA can enter the egg, but when the sperm is deposited anally, it's the enzyme that causes the immune system to fail. That's why the term is AIDS, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Ah. Oh my God. That's the first time it's clear to me. It's not a virus after all. (laughs) The immune system (laughs) is burned away in the anus. A to B to C
1: equals
0: (laughs) i I'm ejaculating. You'll, you'll see it go onto the floor, and that shit will burn straight through to China. It's well, unbelievable. It's like the alien's blood, right? It just yeah. burns through everything. <laughs> so just this watch was... it. S- s- right through concrete. Unbelievable. I can just imagine what that does inside someone's anus.
1: Well, what does it do to the vagina, Chuck? The vagina.
0: No, 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 so no, no. It's no.
1: probably HPV. It's where HPV comes from.
0: <laughs> the egg uh, apparently nullifies it, right? Oh, and all the other oh, it, it two million burns, or whatever? burns through and then just is, uh, amazingly, none of the DNA are burned at all. Oh. It's a magical egg.
1: So vaginal – oh, I see. Vaginal cells would have some sort of like uh, protection around them. So this shut be that burned.
0: shit down. Oh, that's evolution. Yes, it's legitimate <laughs> rape. I mean, oh. I'm mixing my Republicans.
1: Yeah. Well, what if it's legitimate ass rape?
0: You still get AIDS either way. Well, that's not fair. I don't think the male body has any sort of mechanism to shut that down, even in the case of legitimate rape.
1: Oh, well, this is, this is tough news. This is hard to swallow. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's where throat cancer comes from.
0: Well, now we know. Now we finally, after 30-plus years of being in the dark, finally someone explained the cause of AIDS. It's so, about goddamn time. All we have to do is stop
1: anal sex.
0: That's it. Yay, we've cured it. We've cured it. You just seem to stop fucking people in the ass.
1: Oh, that's a pretty good one. I think that might have my
0: vote. That, uh, yeah, I'm going to give my vote to the Westboro Baptist Church, just because, you know, Oh. the, the subject of the podcast, you know.
1: I'm, I have to go with AIDS-causing sperm acid. I, I just can't give that up. No, no,
0: Matt, you've got it backwards. Sperm causing AIDS acid? Sperm no. acid causing AIDS. It's the burnin burnination that causes it. Oh, the burnination. Because, as we all know, the immune system is located in the rectum.
1: Yes. Oh well, then I'm. That's
0: it. That's my vote. Well, uh, let's plug that in the computer then. See what comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, first you gotta put it in, and
1: something will come out. Hopefully, not AIDS.
0: Holy in shit! It's out. AIDS. In and out, <laughs> in and out. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh my god! It's the it's the Supreme Court of the United States. The How's that possible? Court? That's not possible. Matt, the Hobby Lobby decision, uh, the last major decision I think released by the uh, Supreme Court, uh, decided uh, five to four in a. Uh, I believe that's almost unanimous, isn't it? That, that's pretty uh, much that's pretty much par for every decision this Supreme Court has gone through. <laughs> that corporations are not only people; they're people that can fucking uh, express religious beliefs and have those religious beliefs infringed upon somehow. By the- <laughs> that makes perfect sense. It is amazing. Um, I, I, I've read this decision, uh, Matt, and I've got I've got two things to say about it. Uh, and I'm not I'm going to hold an, uh, a a uh, detailed discussion about it. I'm going to hold off on that because I think I want to do a whole podcast on it. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. I'll I'll withhold most of my
1: comments that no one will pay heed to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I will You're- say this though: I am very peeved. Peeved, I tell you. <laughs> that I was wrong. I was certain. I was certain this would be the easiest decision, but it would still be a five-four against Hobby Lobby, just because you know five-four, right? But it would be against them uh, with like fucking Kennedy or somebody like the swing vote going. Nah, I guess I guess I shouldn't be a complete idiot, but I guess he was a complete idiot. So
0: no, I, you know, I, I've got two things. I think I think if if the, the the decision was written by Justice Alito, and, and I believe – I've read the decision, and if this is evidence of Justice Alito's uh, keen legal mind and jurisprudence, then he has got to be the dumbest motherfucking Supreme Court justice in history. And I include Clarence Thomas and Scalia oh. in that, who, who by the wow. way, agreed to the decision. So I guess of it's a, <laughs> it's a close one. What, all the Catholics agreed with this? And yeah, the second thing I'd like to say is, you know, if if you got uh, a decision that uh, fundamentally impacts the uh, rights of of women, and you have five men on one side and all three women in the Supreme Court on the other side, perhaps it's time to rethink your fucking decision. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Congratulations. (laughs) Fuck you, you five assholes. You five Catholic male fucking assholes. Fuck every one of you. But congratulations. But yeah, congratulations on winning Skunk Dick of the Week. And uh uh be becoming the subject matter of our next podcast.
1: Yes. I shall save the remainder of my fuck you's for the uh for the breakdown of that of that decision.
0: How about we uh let's get to the interview.
1: All right, let's move on.
0: We have on the show today Nathan Phelps, son of Fred Phelps. Uh, Founder of the Westboro Baptist Church Uh, And uh, Nathan, we've had you on the show once before Do you remember that?
2: I do, it was probably uh, 2010 Yeah, it was four years
0: ago It was four years and one co-host ago What? (laughs) That's right (laughs) I don't remember this at all (laughs) Uh, And a lot has happened since then Um, I think we we, we talked about um, some of the changes that were going on in the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, and um, a lot of the people uh, were kind of – at that time, it was kind of uh, – a lot of people were leaving, and that trend has continued.
2: Yeah. Yeah, in fact, it's uh, – I, I would say it's escalated. I don't know if at that time that fellow from, uh, from London, uh, Louis Thoreau, had, had done the movie The Most Hated Family in America.
0: He'd done the first one, but he hadn't done the second one. The second one was, I think, 2011. He went back.
2: Yeah, yeah and that was basically the focus of that one was the fact that so many of them were uh, starting to uh, disappear. And so I think the title of that was The Most Hated Family in Crisis. Right, and that was three years ago. Yeah. And, and some of the key people who were in that one now have left, Megan and Grace being the, the two most notable. Now, which ones were Megan and Grace? Um, Well, both of them are Shirley's daughters. Uh, Grace was the one, I don't know, I mean, if if you recall, she was the one who was kind of being protected by all the girls. Um,
0: She was one of the younger ones.
2: Yeah, I think she was 16 or 17, but when Louie was in her room, and there was like three or four women standing at the door. (laughs) Yes, all right. That was was Grace. Well, good for uh, her. Yeah, and, and then her sister Megan was one of those girls standing at the door. And um, Megan has been or was for several years kind of the um, the next generation. She was the leader of the next generation of WBC. And everybody kind of saw her following in her mom's footsteps in that role. And so the fact that she left was, was huge.
0: Gotcha. Now, was she one of the ones that was, was fairly vocal –
2: in the first movie... I mean, I, I hate to say it this way, but she was the, the most well-spoken of all of them. <laughs> and she really is. She's quite a remarkable young lady. I've I've had several opportunities to talk to her. She's, she's thoughtful and intelligent. And it was interesting at one point, one of the conversations we had, and she was very emotional talking about her grandfather because it was around the time he passed. And she was saying... That for all those years, when when someone would would suddenly be in the spotlight for their behavior in the church, so that was one of the things that would happen. Is they kind of were cannibalistic in that in that situation. They're always looking for the slightest evidence that someone is not uh, towing the line properly, and then suddenly that person is under a microscope, and. So Megan was saying that for all those years, when, when a charge was made, she didn't really know the person well enough to, to refute it. And then as this transition of them going to the eight elders, rather than my father being the head of the, the church, yes, um, yes. suddenly Shirley was in the spotlight because she was violating the New Testament commandment that women keep silent.
0: Right, oh. which was never a problem before.
2: Right, but this was a strategy uh, of, um, as I understand, Steve Drain, who was making his move to uh, consolidate power with him at the head, and suddenly Shirley was fighting for her eternal existence. Right?
0: Yeah, this was an interesting. We had this conversation uh, when you were on um, before about how she was Shirley Phelps Roper was the most outspoken of the group. Um, yeah. Fred was getting a little old at the time. He hadn't been kind of outspoken. And even in that, even in that uh, documentary, he kind of hung back and he was irritated about the whole thing. He didn't even want to talk to the guy. He gave him a one or two questions and then kind of, it told him he was an idiot. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right. That was that was vintage Fred. There, he. fantastic.
0: He was a little offended that he didn't ask him more important questions or scriptural questions, I guess. And sure yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you had said that you know he's more pragmatic than anything. Yes, you know it's against the the Bible that she's so outspoken, or or that he was kind of grooming her for the successor, I guess
2: well he he would never have put her in the position of of leader of, the, of that church because he won't go that far because that's a clear violation but as far as the practical day-to-day let's get as much visibility let's let's uh do as much as we can with as little as possible she was really good at that and so he used that
0: so he was happy with her being the face of the church, so long as she wasn't officially in charge. That's right. And then along but, comes Steve Drain, who's a uh, uh, documentary. I mean, he was he's filming a documentary on these guys, and uh, he ended up being converted.
2: Yeah, that's right. And moved his family from Florida uh, to Topeka and, and uh, has become now probably the most visible of all of them. And in that process had... Had pushed Shirley back down, so here's Megan watching this going on, and she's hearing the charges. But she's she's spent the last two or three years by her mother's side, and she knows it's BS. So that was one of the, the main things that finally sent her away. But Shirley still in the church. Oh yeah, she's still there, and you'll still see her from time to time. But she's not that that uh, front person now. I don't I don't know if you could really say there's a front person anymore. I haven't I haven't. Uh, I haven't really seen that in, in what I've observed in the last, well, since my father passed.
0: Yeah, walk me through that a little bit. Um, there was some question about whether he was excommunicated or not. And apparently, weren't you guys always taught as kids that, that uh, he would never die, that, that he would be translated? You guys would all get caught up in the rapture before.
2: Yeah. Now, when I was growing up there, he was talking, he, he liked talking about Elijah and uh, Enoch, who were the two in the Bible that supposedly never died. And he, he had an affinity for them. He, he um, related to them, if you will. And then he had done this math in his head, or somehow he justified it from the Bible, that Christ was going to return around the year 2000, give or take 25 years. And so in his mind, um, since he was so devoted to God and, and was the only one that was doing it right, uh, he had started. I don't want to say he flat out said it, but there was a strong suggestion that that uh, between his discussion about those two men and his um, his contention that death was a a judgment from God, so those those two variables combined to kind of create this atmosphere that Christ was going to return, and that's how they were, that was going to be a nice, neat package how they would all avoid death. So suddenly, I. Simultaneously, I get an email from uh, one of my nieces who has left. And in that email, it not only says that he's in hospice, but that he has been excommunicated. And she went on to claim that that the excommunication was uh, because he had, and I'm quoting now, been mean to some of the people in the church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my reaction, guys. Said what? You know, if that had been the criteria, he never would have got that church started. Oh my god! So I don't get it. So, but then I I, I got other input from other people. So I have to be honest that I don't know with a hundred percent certainty the details surrounding it. I do know that he was he was uh, taken from that building which he lived in since he moved to Topeka, and um, put in another home another house and was was being watched constantly because his reaction was as you might expect pretty uh, profound he, he quit eating and, and uh, taking care of himself and so he he went downhill very fast and and ultimately ended up in the hospice
0: gotcha so you think that may, may be a direct
2: result from his uh, excommunication from the church I yeah you know what I know of my father I'd say that's exactly what it was. That's but, his whole life. I mean, that's his yeah. whole reason for existence. Yeah, and and if they if if in fact they excommunicated him, and it had the same uh, eternal power as all of his excommunications, then suddenly he's not going to heaven. I gotcha. Or that that's at risk at at least. So yeah, I can imagine there'd be some pretty um, intense turmoil there in his mind. And then there were some other reports that came out from one of my nephews that. Um, was actually the one who b- brought the message out when he left um, about a month before my father pa- passed. And he's the one that came out with what information we had. And and then he came at, uh, three or four months later and was, was putting it out there that the old man had stood out in front of the church and looked across the street at that equality house that's painted like a rainbow <laughs> and had, had said something along the lines of those are good people and, um, suggesting that he had had a change of heart wow. um I, I gotta tell you i'm a bit skeptical about that but
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i would have to say after what how many 60 uh years of uh, absolute um hatred of
2: yeah yeah i didn't yeah but you never know you know i heard some really i don't know how to put it really thought-provoking uh emotional input from my niece who actually got to see him just before he passed. And uh, it certainly set on end a lot of the ideas that I hold in my head about him. So I just don't know what to think about those those last weeks or months. Um,
0: How do you and, feel about that? You had not had any contact with him since you left, with the single exception of one radio show that he called into, right? That's right. Yeah. W- which he proceeded to berate you for you know being rebellious and et cetera et cetera, and
2: yeah a lot of name calling it was it was right. a worthless um forty five seconds so um I, I got if I can be honest it was uh there was some emotion, but it wasn't it wasn't the kind of emotion one might imagine it was more kind of revisiting that what could have been thinking and uh and then there was some kind of a selfish introspection about well okay that generation's gone i'm next <laughs> <laughs> you know but but you guys you got to understand you can't you can't be gone from from uh, no matter how much blood you share with them you cannot be gone from people for 35 40 years and have the kind of relationship or lack of relationship that i had with him and realistically expect there's going to be any real strong emotion. I had a lot of people, a lot of people saying, "Well, no matter what he's your father, well, no, that's not necessarily true i mean i mean it's it speaks to that what could have been argument, but you know I've dealt with that for years, so this wasn't this wasn't the profound um, moment in time that a lot of people would like to Based on their words, would like to have thought it was. It just was kind of. I saw it as an an inevitable moment in time. Um, It did have some significance, like you know, based on what we talked about a a few minutes ago. That uh, you know, what does that say about the church and their doctrines? And but I thought it was very interesting that they kick him out right around the time he's showing signs of shuffling off this mortal coil, right?
0: Right. Do you think maybe that? That precipitated it, that they're, they're trying to head that off of the past, any doctrinal shift or change that that he's going to die and he can't die in full standing in the church?
2: Sounds pretty cynical, doesn't it? But I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Uh, or possibly the inevitable power struggle where they see it's easy at the end of his life and we better assert our power now rather than leave. Uh...
2: Yeah. I, I think there was definitely some planning going on. And you know what? Frankly, he might have been involved in it. He might have seen that uh, it was necessary to um, establish some kind of structure in his absence, but just not seeing that it was going to lead to his his loss of control and and the kind of outcome that it came with. So I, I just I don't know enough. Sure. One of these days we'll know. I did find out something rather sad because years ago, uh, when this story first started, I'd say probably around the mid nineties, um, they had they had found his his sister. Who was living somewhere in Pennsylvania, and she had basically her her answer was, "I'm not going to talk about him while he's still alive." She had reached out to um, Mark and, and and I, and had you know had sent us some pictures and had had some nice things to say, but uh, we basically lost contact with her, uh, and then I found out that here very recently she passed away as well. So um, that source of information, which I was. Always hopeful would would uh, give new insight is gone as well. So we'll never know what she had to say. Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm curious about your uh, you're talking about your father earlier. I was kind of understanding what you're saying there, just because uh, for me growing up, my biological father had a a lot of issues, and I was adopted at a young age. Uh And um, so later on in life, there was a couple of times when he tried to uh, I I guess you could say reach out. But I, I did feel like after a number of years, you feel this, uh, a disconnect with that. Even though people, people do say that, you know, like, hey, it's still your father. But, but do you have any, like, regret? I guess you could say, or is there, is there something else? Because now that my, my biological father has also passed away, and sometimes I think, maybe I should have done something more, or, or if there's something I could have said, or,
2: yeah. Uh, there there has been a few moments like that, but um, generally the response I get to pretty quickly is that uh, I, I know who he was or yeah. I knew enough of who he was and I know enough of who I am that it would have been at, at least disastrous um, either emotionally or otherwise if I had tried to um, reach out to him and, and, uh, come to any kind of resolution right um i I honestly feel that way if i if i thought for a moment otherwise i would have i would have uh moved heaven and earth to get back there and have a chance to talk to him so right right um it, it just it is what it is guys and i used to have this conversation with people when they before all of this started and and they would find out i was estranged from my family and well and then you know it was my fault there was you know People kind of judging, well, you know, you sh- it doesn't have to be. You just reach out to them, and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't clarify it well enough for people to understand. So
0: that seems to me like a fundamental misunderstanding of uh, Fred Phelps. Yeah,
2: and and a lot of these uh, extreme r- religious people, you know, there there is no, um, they have a different set of values, um, if I can use that word. And they are not going to deter from it uh, for any reason.
0: Um, Right, even their children. um, Well, that was one of the things that struck me on that second documentary that uh, Louis Thoreau would come back and ask them, uh, a lot of different people, a lot of different parents, do you uh, have any feelings of regret or do you you feel bad about your your child leaving? And the answer was almost uniform um, to the point where I think what you were saying about and that there's this fear of being spotlighted in the church, right? They would all say that this is, you know, their rebellious nature. This is uh, God's judgment on them. Um, they chose it themselves, and they're not elect anymore. Why would I feel bad for someone who's rebelling against God? I mean, it was almost a rote discussion every single uh, person he asked.
2: Yep. You, you heard the exact same terms, in fact. And the funny thing about it was I had heard them all before. 35, 40 years ago, I'd heard exactly the same language so um, they, they haven't changed they're they're not this they certainly from the evidence that I see there hasn't been any real thoughtfulness on the part of my siblings who uh, who parrot those same phrases right but yeah my brother my oldest brother Fred um, Steve drain my sister Shirley they all were saying the exact same thing because that's the message. That's the, that's the story they tell themselves to justify an action that is contrary to our very nature. Right. To rip yourself away from your, uh, from your own flesh and blood.
0: And it did seem like uh, that this is almost this, this virus that's, that's gotten a hold of them so deeply that, that I'm surprised that anyone, like I said before, that anyone ever leaves the movement.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, when they do, they, they certainly have their hands full as far as um, coming to terms with it and, and will will have second thoughts and doubts about it for years to come. It's very difficult to make that transition.
1: How hard is it to leave? Um, is there is there pressure from the group uh, or is it something you have to just sneak out of? I'm, I'm assuming nobody ever talks about it first. Like, I'm having doubts. And-
2: um. You know, it's interesting because it, it, when I was growing up, that's exactly what it was. I last thing in the world I would do is is uh, that, that's like painting a uh, target on your chest and right. standing okay. up in front of the firing squad, right? Yeah. Um, that's how I saw it, and so that's how I responded when I left. I I didn't let anybody know, and uh, to this day I haven't really had any intelligent conversations with any of them about religion. But uh, now I understand that some of these younger ones have actually gone to their Parents And said, uh, I have to leave. And uh, they go through this. Well, for Megan, at least, she went through this kind of ritualistic process of, of her mother taking her to her grandfather and grandmother and having her say it to them so that they can have their re- emotional response in front of her. Um, wow. But to me, that says that says a lot about her, that she had the courage to put herself through that. So. Um, there, there's a lot of pressure. It's an interesting thing because when they when they start on them, then what ends up happening is the person who's under the spotlight starts getting emails, and they start having people come up to them and and um, basically trying to force them to change their mind. Right. And then, uh, but they they have no intention of ever uh, finding some kind of uh, middle ground. Right. 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 You got to get your, yourself. Back in line with God's expectations and requirements; uh, otherwise, you got to go, and that's just the way it is.
1: And you—that's—that's that's what you did. You just—you—you you left, right? You didn't—you didn't tell anybody. You just—I read that you got an old car. You bought an old car.
2: Yeah, an old Rambler Classic. You guys ever even heard of a Rambler? No. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> wait, wait—is that the? Uh, does that have the pop-up
1: seat in the back?
2: No, I'm thinking of something no, else. No, that's like that. No, this one didn't. Oh
1: no, no. This is it's like a Bel Air or something. It's like a it's got yeah, lots of trunk. Their,
2: it, <laughs> it's a seat that faces backwards, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what you're thinking yeah, what I don't, thinking don't know. About. Those are called rundle rumble seats or something. Rumble seat. Okay. No, no this was just okay. this was a uh car manufacturer, I think it was called Ogden Nash or Nash Rambler was oh, the yeah, yeah. car company and I don't know how long they lasted, but this was, um, yeah, it was one of those Rambler classic it was. And it uh, had no compression. It had like two spots on the entire starter solenoid that still worked. So it would take me 20 minutes to get it started. <laughs> so so when I did get it started, I wouldn't shut it off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how does that and, work uh,
2: for a nighttime getaway? <laughs> well, you, I left it running. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. And I remember when I would take it on the highway, I'd have to, I would get in behind a semi and, 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 uh, use his pole until the engine overheated. Then I'd have to back away until it cooled off. And I found another semi. So it was an interesting oh, old car. It didn't last long, but it, it served its purpose. That's, wow. uh,
0: amazing. And that was the, the minute you, uh, the clock hit midnight on your 18th birthday.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's when I got out of there.
0: And your older brother had left uh, a
2: few years before. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, Mark had left when I was. Um, he says I was. I had to have been fifteen. I'm, I might have been. It would have been close to my sixteenth birthday, though.
0: Was he the first to go?
2: Well, he was the first to go and stay gone. He had uh, uh, my older brother. My oldest brother Fred had tried to leave, and um, yeah, I don't. I don't know how much I should get in that story, but he tried to leave and eventually came back. And then my oldest sister Kathy. She left when she was 17, 17 and a half or so. And uh, the old man found out where she was living and, and we, we went out kind of uh, commando style and forced her back home. Wow. And it, was, it wasn't pretty. She spent three three months or so uh, locked up in a room upstairs and forced to go on a fast. And the old man was just constantly uh, beating her during that time. So um, that's that was the... That was the rationale in my mind for <clears throat> waiting until I was legally an adult, because I wasn't going to put myself in that position. Right.
0: That that yeah. would never happen
2: to you. Yeah. You learn you learn from the others' mistakes, basically, right? Yeah. So there had been uh, several people who had, had uh, tried to leave, didn't make it, and then Mark left, and the old man started his same strategy. On, um, you know, he would go to where Mark was living, and and. Um, you know, tell him he was making a big mistake, he was going to hell. And and Mark had, had actually picked a another religious group called The Way International. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. but um, And he was staying at one of the leaders uh, in, in Topeka. He was staying at the house of one of the leaders of that religious group. So that just infuriated the, the old man even more because this was <laughs> the guy who wrote a book called Jesus Christ is Not God, the, the leader of this this group. So the old man was just, he was absolutely freaking out that Mark had fallen into this apostasy, right? So he kept trying to get him back, and at one point he actually got Mark to get in the car with him. He was driving back to the house. They got there, um, walked through the, they walked, entered the, the building through my, my father's law office, which was attached to the church, and there happened to be a client had had been sitting there waiting so the old man stopped to to talk to the client, Mark walked through the law office, through the church building and out the back door and and uh, was gone. So <laughs> that, that was the last time he tried to get him back. So so that was uh quite a remarkable accomplishment in my eyes.
0: That's pretty impressive, yeah. Yeah. And and that was never an option for you. You were never going back. No.
2: Um I mean I didn't see it. It it's really hard to get um, where my mind was uh, communicated effectively so people can understand. It wasn't so much that I was fighting against my father's belief system at that time. I was terrified of the violence, and, and I was hearing the message about who I was and uh, what, my, uh, what the consequences of who I was was going to be. So I just wanted out of there. I wanted to go. I wanted to live my life. And I was going to deal with the question of God and eternity and, and hell later,
0: yeah what was most impressive to me was that you left fully thinking that you were going to hell, that you were doomed
2: yeah absolutely confident in fact yeah. it's funny because I just had that thought the other day that the fact that my father made it through two thousand and twelve, which would have been that twenty five year cushion on either side of of uh the year two thousand right it must have been profound for him because that would have been the point at which he would have to have acknowledged that he he was his calculations were wrong. And
1: uh, oh, I didn't know this. Did he have a year two thousand?
2: Uh, oh yeah, he believed Doom day or <laughs> That's what he taught when we were going up. It was a funny thing because he would always preface it or or include in the discussion that a um, no man knows the time of his returning. You know that all those passages, but then he would go turn right around and he would start. Talking about how we could know when he was returning, and he didn't see any any conflict in, in those two positions. Um, I think primarily because it was he wasn't saying the day and the hour. He was basically saying the period that he was going to return. Right. Oh, okay. So he could speculate on that since he wasn't speculating on the exact moment. And uh, so yeah, that was I was confident. I was convinced because that's what I heard, and I hadn't really spent any time on it. Other than just receiving the message um, that I was going to die around the year around the age of forty-two, and uh, and I was going go to hell.
0: Yeah. And and I, you you left still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until later <clears throat> that you. I'm came. kind of
2: i I'm kind of an instant gratification kind of guy. In case you hadn't noticed. This. <laughs> I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead.
0: It wasn't until later that you came to uh, any conclusion about religion or, or
2: atheist or anything like that. That's right. I I was I didn't want to have anything to do with religion at first. Um, I spent probably five years just avoiding it altogether and then got myself right back into the fundamentalist thing for a period of time because my brother Mark had found a church that was supposed to be a good church. So I spent a little bit of time there and realized that it made me sick to my stomach. So I quit going to that. And then I got involved in in uh, evangelical free church. And that was, that was more, uh, that was a kinder, gentler version of it all. But in all of it, I wasn't getting any of the answers that I had uh, or, you know, questions I had answered. So I um, eventually got to the point where I realized that basically for me, it was this guy's Everything hinges on the Bible being what it says it is. So I need evidence that the Bible is what it says it is, and there is none. So, you know, people's interpretations, you literally, every person I would talk to had another interpretation, and they all, it all hinged in each of their minds on if people just understood the Bible says such and such. Well, the next guy would say exactly the same thing, but his was a different version, and it just got to the point where I realized it was nonsense.
0: Yeah, the yeah. Um, the the f- literalist readings are hampered by the fact that you you always have a, a layer of interpretation in between right. the text and yourself.
2: And uh, yeah, and you and you have to. I mean, that's how right. we are as humans. There's always a a um, a gap between what the person writing it meant and what the person reading it perceived.
0: Especially if it was written 2,500 years ago. That's right. Uh, sure. yeah. There's there's no way around it.
2: Five different languages and 2,500 years later and,
0: yeah. Right. So there really is no such thing as a literal reading of the text. as It's just
2: impossible. There can't be. Yeah. I mean, you tell me how. And that's that's one of the things I love when I have a debate with one of these guys is when you get to that point. Because as soon as they want to argue that there's an absolute truth, then my next question is, whose? And then they want to say God in the Bible, and I say, okay, so what's the absolute truth in there? There's never there, every absolute truth that has been asserted over time has been either altered, adjusted, or or removed. So it's a nice idea. That's the thing I've always thought about this notion of absolute truths or absolute anything. It's it's a nice idea if uh, if you're looking for comfort. But the real world, you never see any of those assertions in the real world.
1: Aha! But do you absolutely believe? There is no such thing as absolute truth. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about
2: that? I stole I'm that from sure. a website. <laughs> I'm as I'm as sure as I can be about anything in life. About yeah. that. Did yeah. I say that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the answer. Um it's uh, it always amazes me these fundamentalists, um, but uh, like the you know Westboro Baptist Church, they just come back at you uh, louder. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I had a guy the other day telling me that it was ridiculous for me to assert any truth as long as there was no absolute truth upon which that assertion could be challenged or or tested. Right, and and I said, well, how do you know who told you that? I love that question. Who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, um, and I said, so what, uh, what is the absolute truth? And he says, God in the Bible. And, uh, and he said something, I forget exactly how I put it, but he said, you, you cannot know anything. You cannot establish any truth without the absolute truth of God in the Bible. And so I came right back and, and basically challenged that. I repeated it, but in my repetition changed the assertion. And I mean, it was, it was kind of a tongue in cheek move, but the point I was trying to make to him is j- just as he just state something without any evidence. I can do the same thing back and, and blow it out of the water. And what have we accomplished? We haven't proven anything. We right. just made an assertion, and you didn't even attempt to pr- to prove it.
0: Right. You are making a naked assertion that has absolutely no effect on me. You know, yeah. you could make that naked assertion about anything. Um, Hitchens says, "What can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence."
2: That's right. And so, so, so you you basically challenge the assertion with with a sentence. And you've done as good as they have, and, right? Exactly. And dismissing it, right? So exactly. <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, tell me about this documentary, uh, not my father's son.
2: Well, okay. So about a year and a half ago, I got an email from a, a gal. Her name was Terry Johnson, and she had uh, and she had attached a little, I think, three or four minute YouTube video that her and her son had made, and it told her story where she was she was prepared to kill herself she had the drugs and had said her goodbyes as much as she could and was preparing to end her life because she had lived for 52 years um, with the knowledge that she was gay she had she had married a she was from the deep south she had married a man like she was supposed to he was abusive she, uh, she had three kids with him eventually gathered enough courage and, and uh, self-respect to to leave him The kids all grew up went out were successful and now she's alone and she is preaching she's going she's giving talks for her Christian community kind of uh, positive uh, reinforcement talks and she's she's quite a popular speaker on the Christian circuit and she can't do it anymore so she's preparing to kill herself and and something distracts her and she finally comes clean and uh, but she lives in in Kansas you guys and that's not a good place to live if you're gay. Right. So we became became good friends. Uh, I was, I flew back there like a month or so later to speak at a conference in Lawrence. And um, so I had a chance to meet her and her son and they asked if they could do a documentary about me. And we talked about it. And my conclusion was that because of the position that her son, Brad was coming from, he had done that video to help his mom, survive and to help her start down this path of being open and honest about who she was and dealing with all of the challenges that it was going to be. And he had already been watching my family and was interested in doing a story about those who had left. So when he found out about me, he wanted to, do, to tell that story because he also knew that I was doing work with the LGBT community. So I thought they were the right people because it... They have heart. They 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 reach the emotions of people, right? Which I've always said is the the key to changing minds is to change their heart. So they started the process. We had a few opportunities to film when I was down in the area on other conferences, and he put together a really good trailer. And it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's it's incredible that without me really getting into some of the details. Some of the the re they, – they do some um, retelling of the story visually as part of the, his, his style. And it was eerie how close they got to the feeling of it all. And uh, anyway, so – The trailer I, I is
0: essentially you talking and giving a, a portion of your story. And yeah, they yeah. have uh, set this up against um, his little cinematography and
2: – Yeah. Gun. The old man walking down the stairs walking with down. a handle in yeah, his hand. And, exactly. and, uh, and then um, images of me packing up to leave, and it, it really is powerful. And the whole purpose of it is for us to get the message out there that there's people who understand and are supportive of the LGBT community and of people who are growing up in these violent religious environments uh, or just a violent environment, period, and that there is hope and uh I believe that it's going it's to have huge impact and cause tremendous changes for a lot of people. And that's why I want to do it. How
1: did you get involved
2: with the LGBT community? Um, when I started talking publicly about, about what it was like growing up there,
1: uh huh,
2: I, I was getting a lot of emails and a lot of uh, conversations from people and was surprised how many came from the LGBT community who related to my story from the, um, being ostracized and the physical violence, uh, not necessarily at home, but in their lives and came to realize that, that my message was not just affecting people who grew up in, in extreme religious environments, but it was affecting anybody who has been marginalized and mistreated in society. So. Uh, It just was a natural thing. And the fact that my family has been so destructive. In fact, Terry sent me an email last week, you guys, that was just heartbreaking. So someone there from the the Lawrence area in Kansas, and her and her sister and her mom had gone to an event to celebrate uh, the birthday of the youngest girl. I think she was 15, 16 years old. And my family was there protesting and had taunted her because she was too much like a tomboy. And she took her life two or three days later because of uh, what had happened there. And her mom, the mom, uh, I'm not real clear on the timeline, but eventually she ended up taking her life as well because she felt guilty for sending her daughter to church where she heard the message about being gay. Yeah. So it was... um, that's a pretty powerful story. And this woman was saying, you need to tell this story so more people understand.
0: Now, when you had uh, sat down and listened to his um, sermons uh, every Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, was he as uh, – Fred Phelps as just absolutely virulently anti-homosexual, anti-gay from the beginning? Or was that a more recent
2: development? No, he, he always was. He always saw homosexuality as a – as a particularly heinous sin. In, in Romans 1, somewhere in there, is, there's some language that he took to mean that, that you can't recover from that sin because it says God gave them up um, to their vile affections or something like that. So t- to him, that translated to God gave up on them. That was such a horrible sin. He just gave up. Um, but yeah, he's always, he's always treated that as a particularly evil sin.
0: Way back, Way back in the '60s, huh? When it wasn't really even <laughs> part yeah. of the radar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's amazing. Um, how can we support this uh, documentary?
2: Well, we, we were doing a Kickstarter, and we we raised uh, just over twenty thousand dollars, but the goal was fifty five. So we didn't. We're not. We don't get that money, right? That's how Kickstarter works. But um, they are working on some alternatives. And um, that should be coming out within the next couple of days as far as how we can get uh, funding otherwise, not necessarily to the degree they were hoping to, but at least get some support from people who are interested in supporting it. So I would say probably of the best thing to do is to keep an eye on my website because that's where we're going to be uh, talking about it. What is that website? Uh, it's just natephelps.com. Fantastic! Pretty, so pretty narcissistic, pretty narcissistic, eh? <laughs>
0: hey, it's got a, a gigantic picture of Nate Phelps on the front.
2: Yeah, it looks like Superman. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I didn't take the picture; of someone else. <laughs> so keep
0: an eye on that, um, so we can figure out how to. Because I donated the Kickstarter, but it never got charged because they, you know,
2: yeah, because it didn't work. It didn't hit the limit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um. Are you still working with, uh, is it CFI, the Center for Inquiry?
2: Uh, I I stepped down as the director here in Calgary uh, about a month and a half ago, but I'm still working with them. I just am not in a, a leadership role right now. That's I am true. still working with recovering from religion, and uh, right now my goal is to get the documentary done and to get the book done and uh, try to set something up where my, my midterm goal is to – Go on a speaking tour. I would like to go to colleges and high schools, and uh, maybe with Terry, and start impacting these young minds more on this whole question of uh, of gay rights and and um, whether or not that that is uh, an aberration, right? Right. That's, that's the message that's out there, and we ne- we need to change that message.
0: Uh, so you're writing a book as well. That's right. Is that going to be the same title? Not my father's son.
2: Well, we're thinking about it. <laughs> I've, I've been all over the map on on the title, um, but it, I mean, if it comes out in conjunction with the documentary, with that, we might very well do that.
0: Yeah, do a little uh, co uh, marketing on it. There you go, <laughs> uh, Matt. Did you have any other questions? Um,
1: I want to know. I well, I want to know about his early life, but I think yeah, I'm assuming you probably covered that in the first the first interview you guys did. I didn't want to bring it all up again. I wasn't sure
0: if you well, talked about it already. We we talked briefly about it, but it sounds like it, I mean it, it was um, just unrelentingly terrible. Um, yeah, there
2: there were there were good parts, guys. That's one of the things that's frustrating about trying to tell the story, especially when I have to to do it in forty five minutes or an hour. You have to get to the meat and the coconut, and um, right. So, but. It, one one of the things that I said when I started talking about it, one of the things I promised myself was I was going to be as transparent and as brutally honest as I could be about about all of it. So, I mean, the truth is you have, you know, 12, 12 siblings and we're in a situation that is, is uh, fraught with danger coming from our father. We figured out how to have good times sometimes, right? Even... We didn't do it around him, but we figured out how to oh, okay. enjoy our lives. Um, That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, did
1: was that did he ever show any emotion that could have been considered, you know,
2: loving or caring or or uh, human, you know? Or- <laughs> I have to I have to change my answer from what I have typically said. He didn't. I never saw it. Okay, but clearly from the conversations I've had with my nieces and nephews, they saw it. They saw some affection and some kindness coming from him. So um, the, the correct answer is I never saw it.
0: Where do you see the future of the Westboro Baptist Church going? Now that Fred Phelps is gone, uh, it's kind of been taken over by an eight-man council and, um, I guess, led by Steve Drain. What's, yeah. what's the future? They, they're, they're certainly dwindling. They don't seem to be uh, proselytizing at all or gaining any members.
2: Uh, yeah, n- none that, that are visible. I, I I don't you know I'm I'm kind of afraid to answer that guys because they uh, I mean there there are forces at work here one one of the forces I believe is the fact that these young people are leaving in such frighteningly large numbers I think the last time I checked my oldest brother only has one who stayed now wow. out of uh, four Shirley's lost four um, Tim has lost a couple John's lost a couple so uh, I I. I would think that at some point there would be a tipping point on that issue alone. I mean, that I don't, all of my kids are gone. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, Do you think part of that, the, the children leaving is that they've put such a, an emphasis on this picketing and the kingdom of God to the exclusion of all else, including, you know, they're not supposed to seek out relationships Um, Friendships are discouraged, and certainly having a boyfriend or a girlfriend uh, with an eye toward getting married is strongly discouraged because you're not going to be around long enough, right? That's
2: right. Uh, I I think that that's a huge part of it. In fact, I think one of the the greatest forces acting against them right now is uh, what we would refer to as nature. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. These kids get to a certain point, and um, we will move heaven and earth you know the the urge to to uh, bond and procreate is pretty powerful and uh especially when you're excluded from all of that and then suddenly it's uh it's available um, yeah that's what sent quite a few of them away.
0: yeah it's interesting you- watching their stories um almost to a person uh, every single one of them uh their eyes are opened and their uh after they get away from the scrutiny of the church they're apologetic about kind of the harm that they've done and and uh they become a lot more open minded in their
2: uh, yeah. interviews they they do but yeah but each of them is a little bit different as far as what conclusions they draw about the god question hey guys i'm going to have to take off is that are we okay to do that now?
0: We're all set. Thank you so much for joining us and keep up the the good work, Nate. We'll appreciate you being here. All
2: right. Thank, you. Thank th- you. Thanks very much. much. It was great talking to you again. Right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hello
0: and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy 2.0, the one true podcast, and the only podcast to have a co-host die of some unspecified sexually transmitted disease and then procrastinate his repentance. Repentance? Repentance? No. That again. (laughs) It's that thing where, like, when Jesus comes back, what do they call that? (laughs) (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha.